electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the election rally. Stocks racing to their best week since April. We'll get to the investment committee. They're by my side, of course, in just a moment. Meanwhile, the election's still without a winner. Several battleground states still hanging in the balance. Speaking of, we expect to get more results from Nevada sometime this hour. In fact, let's go to Eamon Javers with the very latest on where this race currently stands. Eamon. Yes, Scott, take a look at the big board here and look at the race to 270 overall. And what you see is Joe Biden with a lead. But this has been frozen in place now uh, for a number of hours overall. Uh, Biden, 253 Electoral College votes. Trump, 214. Biden needs 17 Electoral College votes out of those gray states that you see there, which still have not reported uh, their results yet. We're expecting some new numbers from Nevada any minute now. So we're going to watch for that. Meanwhile, take a look at the state of play in Arizona uh, as we move around the country. Uh, You see, it's Biden in the lead there, 50.5 to Trump, 48.1, a difference of uh, just over 68,000 votes. I've talked to some Trump people today. Uh, They are optimistic there that the tail end of the count is going to be pro-Trump because those were votes that were dropped off in person. They think that'll skew Trump. We'll see whether that happens in Arizona today. Nevada, this is the state where we are waiting uh, now for some new vote count. You see the margin there, Biden 49.3, Trump 48.7. 86% of the vote in there. That's where we're expecting some new numbers today. Uh, The Biden margin there uh, is narrow, uh, but we don't know exactly what vote is coming in and from where in the state and which counties it's coming in. So we're going to have to watch for that one. Pennsylvania, meanwhile, uh, there's been counting in fits and starts and arguments about who's allowed to be in which uh, polling place, uh, counting house, in order to see uh, the actual results being counted. Nonetheless, Trump leading there 50.3 percent to Biden, 48.5, a difference of over 116,000 votes. And the big question with Pennsylvania uh, is, is this the red shift that we were expecting? Uh, and now we're seeing the blue shift kick in as those late uh, counted mail-in ballots that are expected to skew Biden are being counted in that state. Will that state shift blue uh, in the hours and possibly days to come? That's the big unknown. It's the big kahuna. It's 20 electoral votes there, Scott. So anybody who gets Pennsylvania, uh, if, if Biden gets Pennsylvania, he wins this election. Meanwhile, the Trump campaign briefing reporters today uh, laying out their sense of where things are. Uh, What they're saying is, remember, the president tweeted earlier today, stop the count, exclamation mark. Uh, The campaign's explanation for that tweet, which would be talking, seems to be on its face, talking about stopping legal counting, first counting of ballots. Uh, They say, obviously, all legal ballots should be counted. They say there's some nuance that the president didn't mention in his tweet, which is that they don't want him, they don't want votes counted that came in after election day that were not legally cast under the rules in the state at which that vote was made at the time it was made. So uh, they're providing some nuance and explanation to the president's tweet there. Arizona, they say, is getting closer and closer. Uh, they say they're, they're leading in Georgia and North Carolina. Uh, and they say Philadelphia is a corrupt place that's known for shenanigans. Uh, and so they're concerned about uh, what might happen in my hometown of Philadelphia. Scott. We shall see. Eamon, uh, thank you for that. Back to you as necessary, of course, Eamon Javers. Our investment committee, as I said, with me again today, Josh Brown, John Nigerian, Jenny Harrington is the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, is the chairman of O'Shares ETFs. It's good to see everybody uh, as we're still waiting uh, for this big result. Bespoke today, Josh, the S&P on pace for its second best election week performance since 1928. What do you make of this move we've been seeing in the market, yeah. Josh? It's been unbelievable. You know, yeah, you know, I just think, and, and I've been saying this all year, and I think this this is born that, that out, that concept that investors were less concerned about who won. They were more concerned that the election would actually take place and would at least on the surface look like it's it's running smoothly. 
and that there would be a resolution. Like, I, I really think that we're watching an exhale. A lot of money went into Treasury bond ETFs this summer um, in preparation to get a little bit more risk off. And now some of the things that we were most afraid of um, about a chaotic election did not materialize. I know we still don't know the winner, but people still feel pretty confident that we're going to get a winner. And that's a, that, I think, is a change to consensus. And so people are coming back in. We're still in TINA. We're still in 0% interest rates for as far as, for as, far as the eye can see. Um, and, and I think uh, the dollar falling here adds another interesting dimension. Look at XLB. Uh, looks like a rocket ship. Look at the industrials. Um, and then look at some of the, 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 the areas that got hit hardest over the last week, having some of the big recoveries. So uh, that seems to be what's happening. One last thing I would mention, we typically do go up after elections. And it's not because everyone's happy with what happened. It's because of that exhalation that I'm describing. So people shouldn't look at this as it's an aberration. And I know a 600-point Dow rally following a 500-point Dow rally, they sound like big numbers, but percentage-wise, actually, this is fairly standard. Yeah, I mean, look, you're, you're up. The S&P right now this week, um, obviously counting the day before the election, um, is now up 7.5%, Jenny. And, you know, the word that I get from the big investors that I talk to is the following, that they think we could be on the cusp of a great scenario for stocks, a Biden presidency, a Republican Senate, no massive spending to make bond yields um, go crazy, no major tax hikes, a ton of liquidity, a vaccine coming, and as they say, or it was told to me in their words, no more of the chaos. It's gridlock, you know, it, that's the sort of theme, but that's the view of the big money, and that seems to be where the market is reacting to as well. I think that's spot on. And I don't think I'm the big money, and I don't think my clients represent the big money. And that's exactly where I am. Let's also, call, I'm going to call you the smart I money. Realized I had, I'm calling you the smart money. Oh, yeah, that's so nice of you. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but I think that's exactly where we are here also. And just to give a visual on it, I like to think of this lower rates for longer as really a foundation that's being built and developed that will underlie and underpin the strength of the equity market for the foreseeable future. I think one caveat that's important to think about as, as this builds is price to earnings. And we know that there's been a lot of bifurcation in the market this year. So I think what we'll see is a broadening of strength and we'll see some of the companies that have had really low multiples start to build up and start to, start to strengthen. And I think that could keep a lid on on the multiple of the S&P completely running away as, as maybe like the really high flyers start to weaken the, maybe not even weaken, soften, right? And the smaller companies start to strengthen on this foundation of lower rates for, longers, for longer and that whole positive setup. But that is exactly where I am with, with how you explained it. Kevin, did you see it that way as well? Biden presidency offset by a Republican Senate. You're going to get a spending stimulus plan, maybe not as large as you would have before, which could have sent bond yields rising maybe faster and higher than the market was ready for. No major tax hikes. You know, the corporate rate, 28 percent. Who knows what's going to happen with that? You've got a ton of liquidity. You've got a vaccine on the horizon and you get rid of some of the chaotic uh, policymaking, tweeting or whatever. That's, again, how it was relayed to me from the people that I speak to. Well, if Biden ends up winning, um, yes. What I like about the Biden win now with what I know after the election is we don't get Biden, we get Biden light. That means no dramatic tax increases, nothing happens in the regulatory environment, no green deal, nothing that could hurt me in my energy stocks, no change in the state and federal regulations on fracking. It's just a slight change in course without any drama and tragedy in terms of massive changes. So he doesn't get to bring with him a left-wing agenda at all because I think it was a wake-up call for the party to realize how thinly they actually pulled this off if they do pull it off. And I think that's fantastic for equities because if you like less chaos, you're going to get it. And you're also going to get nothing in terms of policy. No policy changes at all. With the one exception that I'm not happy about is I feel that Biden will not be as tough on China as I was liking the policy to be. I'm a guy that's been doing business in China for almost 25 years now, and I was really loving the screws we're putting to them. That's going to stop with Biden, unfortunately. That's the one downside if he ends up taking the White House. You know, the, the other side of this, too, um, and Eamon Javers made this point on Twitter last night following on, on my tweet from his own reporting, 
suggesting that the scenario in which I laid out a President Biden would have to have a much more moderate, say, slate of nominees in terms of cabinet positions than would have otherwise been the case had there been a blue wave, that that may as well be viewed as positive for stocks. Now, John Nigerian, let's not forget, and it's been pointed out you know, on, on Twitter today too, and it's a good point to make as we think about the makeup of the Senate. We may not know about full control of the Senate until January because you could have two runoffs in the state of Georgia that could be the determining factor on who has that position within the Senate. So let's not put the cart before the horse. I know some people are probably saying, well, you guys are doing that a bit with the presidency, the way you're speaking about it. But, you know, that's the Electoral College lead right now is with the vice president. So that's why we're doing that. But certainly a lot of things could happen between now and January the 20th. Yeah, but uh, I think, Scott, you're also looking at the folks, uh, if indeed the, they are two runoffs in Georgia and they went a different way than right now we think they might go, um, that, that those are still very conservative uh, Southern Democrats. Um, so I don't think you're looking at all at the uh, sort of liberal policies that both Josh and Jenny and Kevin uh, said that we feared because I think those would be things that the market would view as negative. And I think that the likelihood is we're not going to see big tax increases, re regulation increases. We are likely to see that much smaller fiscal package, which keep in mind for all of the viewers that was much less than even a trillion dollars on the offer. And I wish they would have taken it in August. And now maybe that's what goes through. If you don't have Trump sitting there to basically push on a larger package than that, Scott, I think that's the best you can hope for is basically somewhere between that 600 billion and 1 trillion. And the good news about that, uh, not about the support that the people that needed it won't get until, you know, much later is that at least they'll likely get it before that March time frame that we talked about mm -hmm. that would have been, you know, during the lame duck. So I think that's a positive. I think overall um, the market's doing pretty much exactly what Tom Lee and a number of us talked about, that a purple Congress, that's a great result, um, given where we are right now with, you know, two candidates run, you know, vying for the presidency. Uh, I think a purple Congress, much better outcome for the markets than a straight blue wave. Would a, have been. A, a, to your point, purple Congress, so to speak, Doc, with a Democratic president has traditionally and historically been very good for investors. The S&P up about 34 percent or so when that is the dynamic, a Democratic president, John, with a Republican Senate. Exactly right, Scott. And, you know, to ever, echoing everybody's points, I think this just takes the the level of uh, uh, risks down substantially. And I think that's why you're seeing money flowing back in. Look at the mega caps. Everybody thought they were, you know, maybe basically being thrown out with the bathwater. We were seeing that huge rotation. And even though we've got a nice 2.6% rally out of the um, IWMs, the Russells today, we're still seeing those hey, mega John? caps up almost 10%. John, in forgive three days. me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you because I got to go back to Eamon Javers as we thought we might have to because he is getting some updated numbers uh, from the state of Nevada. Eamon? Yeah, Scott, here's what we're seeing right now. Nevada updating its numbers. We're seeing uh, the Biden lead now widening in the state of Nevada. Uh, the lead there, just over 12,000 votes. Biden, 49.5. Trump, 48.5. Now, Biden's lead was about 7,000, was exactly 7,647 votes before this data dump, which just happened moments ago. Now that lead, uh, over 12,000 votes. They're saying 87% of the vote in. So this was a relatively small uh, dump of data, but the Biden lead there uh, continuing uh, to widen. We believe that Biden gained a total of 9,000, if you do the votes, uh, do the math, 9,000 votes in this new batch that just came in. Remember, six electoral college votes uh, at stake in the state of Nevada. So uh, where does that put Joe Biden? If that lead were to continue or he were able to extend it uh, and capture the state of Nevada, that alone would not be enough to win the presidency. Biden needs Nevada plus something else that's still on the board. Uh, Nevada plus Arizona 
would do it because Arizona's got 11, Nevada has six, and Biden needs 17 votes to get to 270. So uh, Biden inching forward here, but it's not done yet in the state of Nevada, Scott. A bit more of a cushion in Nevada. And, you know, the Biden campaign had been looking at Clark County, uh, Eamon, which includes Las Vegas, as they were hoping that there was going to be a much higher percentage of ballots for the vice president coming in from that particular area. Do we know when we're going to get another update from the folks there? We don't. I don't have any uh, any data here yet on a schedule. They've been a little close to the vest in terms of when they're going to release this data over the course of the past 24 hours or so. Uh, but of course, that Las Vegas area that you're talking about is very union heavy. Uh, a lot of workers, culinary workers and others uh, in the casinos and hotel industry there, uh, that's expected to be a strong point for Joe Biden here. Uh, and remember, they have this unusual feature in, in Nevada. They have a none of the candidates choice uh, that you can vote for. You can actually go to the polls and vote for nobody if you want to in the state of Nevada. And there you see that in the gray on the bottom of the screen we have on, on right now. 10,717 people did that, uh, actually either mailed it in or, or went to the polls and, and did that. And so uh, you know, that's your right as an American in the state of Nevada. But uh, everybody else picking Biden or Trump. All right. Eamon, we appreciate it. Thank you. you uh, may come back to you again. So be ready for that. That's Eamon Javers with us. Um, our investment committee making a lot of moves today, uh, too. And, you know, as you as we discuss sort of this view of the market having a pretty good runway under the scenario in which I laid out, the next obvious question becomes, well, where? Which particular sectors are going to potentially do the best under the scenario in which I laid out basically the gridlock scenario? Healthcare um, is viewed as one, Kevin O'Leary, which is now, by the way, your biggest position. Tell us about that. Yeah, Scott, I got a year's worth of return in two trading sessions. Um, you know, the big names, the Pfizer, the Merck's, the J&J, et cetera, uh, have put that sector for me in terms of my holdings across our, our mandates at over 20%, 22%, ahead of tech now. So at extraordinary returns uh, with the, you know, overall tone being that these companies are not going to be regulated out of existence under a new biden light scenario. And if Trump gets back in, we've still got to deal with the pandemic, so they're going to be in the limelight and continue to bring therapeutics and, ther- and, and vaccines back. But it, it tells you that the repatriation of market capitalization away from other jurisdictions, other geographies where therapeutics were made and other drugs were made are all coming back to Puerto Rico, stateside Canada, Mexico. This is going to be a trend that lasts for years. It's a fantastic sector. Fantastic balance sheets, wonderful cash flow, and now uh, a release against any abuse of regulation on them. So I think this is a, a fantastic place to be. And one other thing to talk about here, this gives you a reason why you cannot time sectoral rotations. If you like healthcare, you got to be in it for those two trading days where you get one year of return in 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you'd never enjoy these benefits. You got to stay long. I mean, sometimes, you, you know, you get lucky. You know, look, the, the market has pivoted so quickly from the idea of a blue wave to the scenario that I laid out, the gridlock Biden presidency, Republican Senate and the other features that would factor in to all of that. That's been remarkable in and of itself, Jenny, is the ability of the market to pivot in such a powerful and quick fashion. For sure. I've been stunned by it. Last week was so vicious in moves on both sides. It was just incredible. And I like the point that Kevin made that you need to be in something for the two days when it's actually rewarded. When it, one of the things, as everyone knows, I'm invested in is energy, and I have a disproportionate weight there. Now, it's not booming, but it's definitely holding its own. And what's happened in the last couple of days has been surprising to me. But with, you know, with the split Congress expectation and with the Biden um, presidency, but the New Green Deal, I think, kind of came off the table. And you saw energy actually do really well yesterday. It's doing really well again today. So pivots like that can start to happen at the big sector level, and then they can also happen at the individual company level. 
Um, interestingly, in our portfolio, we have two regional banks that were down yesterday as the thought of interest rates not going up set in. And then I have Navient, which is the student loan processor that benefits from low interest rates, and that was up tremendously yesterday with the expectation that interest rates would be lower. So we've seen pivots both on a broad sector level and on the company level, and man, it's fast and vicious in this market. Kevin, I should have buttoned up something with you as well as we talk about healthcare being your largest position. You added to Pfizer as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm feeling very bullish about anything with a strong balance sheet, assuming we're going to get some more volatility. You got to remember, Scotty, we have taken the COVID count off the news agenda for this cycle when we're trying to determine who the, which president's going to win. But it's in the background and it's ravishing right now. I mean, we've got huge in increases here in Boston, where I am. We just put a curfew on at 10 o'clock. That means I cannot rent a, run a second shift in a commercial bakery. I have to shut down my restaurant at nine o'clock to allow the employees to get home by 10. This is going to have an impact on the economy and which is why it's important that we start talking about stimulus right out of the gate here because as soon as the president has been picked, we're back on COVID watch and there are some things to be done there. I like a Pfizer balance sheet. I like a Pfizer theme. I like healthcare going into the volatility that we undoubtedly will have for Q1 and Q2 on COVID. Until we have a vaccine that's being distributed, we're gonna have vol on COVID for sure. Yeah, no, no doubt about that, which, which also sort of brings me to my next question, Josh, as we you know, take the, the headline of this, this, this potential scenario being good for stocks and reason why the market is reacting over the past couple of days the, the way it is and the question of which stocks is it particularly gonna be good for, you can't figure at least under this way of looking at it that value stocks are, are so good. Um, smaller stimulus, you don't get a rush higher in, in rates. Would you buy value stocks under th this way of thinking about the market? Well, generally speaking, like some areas of value today are going to become tomorrow's growth. And healthcare is a good example of that. These were stocks, many of the largest healthcare publicly traded companies had been trading at depressed multiples just like other value stocks, but they actually have a good secular growth story to Kevin's point. So I think that whole exercise is not worth spending a lot of time on. I want to go back to something about what the big money is saying. C can I be honest with you? If Trump had clearly won and the stock market was up 500 points, they would just like swap out the names and say, like, this is what Wall Street does really well, is it looks at market activity and then it tells you why it's actually good. And, and they tell you the story after it already happens. So I really don't think that we need to worry about is a split Congress and a Democratic president good for the market because we're really not going to know. Those aren't the variables that are going to have the biggest impact. We know that the Fed is going to be more important and the course of what happens with the virus. You could make the case that Biden will be better for getting the virus under control which I made two days ago and is obvious to anyone that lives on Earth. Um, so maybe that's part of this. But just keep in mind, if I ask you who's the best, most pro-business president in history, you'll tell me Ronald Reagan. The stock market went down uh, the day after Reagan w was, was elected um, for the 1980, the first contest, and three months later, it was down. Um, and, and really, uh, a year later, it was down 5%. That doesn't mean Reagan was bad for business. So markets and market reactions don't line up perfectly with a president's agenda. Of course not. And people need to like kind of grow out of that a little bit. But I'm, I think you can make a smart and credible case that if a blue wave had come about on Tuesday night, bond yields would not be sitting where they are today because that evening before the results really started to come in, the 10-year was as high as 94 basis points. So at least the near-term dynamic of interest rates, which would directly perhaps impact certain stocks for sure, uh, that dynamic may be off the table. And I think that's at least what some of the big smart money is talking about. And frankly, that's the way the market seems to be reacting too, Josh. I think that's true. And I also think that there's a sector story that has to do with the election result. And Kevin just told it uh, in healthcare. So I do think that's true. But I, I guess I'm making the point, okay, so we're reacting to the election today, and maybe we'll react a little bit more tomorrow, and maybe even into next week as the certifications by state start to happen. But, like, what's really going to drive your portfolio is what you're invested in, not necessarily, like, the political 
backdrop, and I go back to, look at the stocks that just are working no matter what. Forget about what just worked in the last day, the last two days. Like, you see JP Morgan and all the banks up today. You know that's not going to last. Meanwhile, MasterCard, PayPal, anything to do with contactless payments, you already know for a fact that these companies will continue to grow market share and grow that total addressable market no matter what Biden does. You already know this. These are the stocks. Home builders were, were, are up 11% in four days. They were already going up. It doesn't matter who got elected. So these are the things that I really think people want to want to look at. Um, so I think cybersecurity, contactless payment, work from anywhere. Um, these are the sto- these are the stories that you want to stay focused on. Well, you, the election will come and go. You you bought PayPal. You you mentioned it. Yeah. Just now, but you actually bought it. Yeah, I bought it. I bro, I stole it. I stole it. I bought it yesterday at like 182 or 183 or something. Um, PayPal's going higher. This is going to be, before this era is over, um, one of the top three financial services companies in America by market cap. And it's actually in the wrong category. They, they think it's a software company. Um, but it's already bigger than Goldman Sachs. I mean, it's a $200 billion market cap. Hundreds of millions of, of users, ultimately, um, doing financial transactions all day, every day. Uh, whether it's e-commerce or Venmo, peer-to-peer, they could basically launch any service they want at this point. Um, they have a, a, a massive subscriber base, audience, whatever you want to call it. PayPal is exactly the kind of stock that works no matter what Congress does, no matter what uh, uh, Biden does in terms of stimulus or whatever. So like, these are the types of things that I think people should be focused on, not like what stocks just had a knee-jerk reaction to an election. Kevin O'Leary, you bought more Alibaba, you bought more Facebook, you bought more Apple. We mentioned Pfizer already. Talk to us. You got, you got a gift. You had a chance to trade these things when they got kicked around. You got the Jack Mount discount on Baba, which is a really gift, a good gift, because I figure by the end of the year, the Chinese let Ant come out. And talking about financial services, that thing is going to be a behemoth. It'll dwarf Goldman Sachs. And it's exactly where you want to be in financial services. As far as I'm concerned, owning money center banks, owning regional banks, that is old school. There's just no growth left there, and they're regulated into oblivion. When you get an ant, which, you know, is not a domestic name, but it's going to be one of the largest financial services companies on a standalone basis when it starts trading. I want to own that. I want to own Square. I own PayPal. That is the future. And a lot of this is, is, is based on consumer demand. The micro loans, I know there's an issue with Ant on that, but let's say the coverage has to go to 10% from one. I don't care. The thing is still spinning a ton of cash. And if I own BABA, I get a big chunk of that in a spin-out. So I want to own BABA. It's up to 5% of my holdings right now. One of my number one, I call it a consumer stock. People call it a tech stock. Whatever you want to call it, it's growing like a weed faster than Amazon. These are the names of the next generation of America 2.0, even if they're not domestic stocks. The point is, work from anywhere is the theme that we're definitely going to get a wave of concern about what's happening with the pandemic, which means Facebook geolocked advertising, I know with certainty, is my number one spend in Q4 and Q1. I bet you they have blowaway numbers. I'm speculating now. But they're my number one spend in my small cap companies because the IRR is so high on those ads. You, Nothing else touches it. You, you've also had to, I mean, this kind of goes back to the conversation that, that Josh and I were having about, you know, the uh, election outcomes and, and what really matters in terms of certain sectors. Now, Josh, you know, in all fairness, did mention, obviously, it can be very se- uh, sector specific. And Kevin, that brings me back to you because you've had to rethink one of your trades in the energy space. Remember the last time you were on, you said you were uh, short Chevron and Schlumberger. Well, you've now covered it, and part of your, if not your entire thesis on that, was Blue Wave Biden and the change that he wants to make in his oil and energy policy. Well, Scott, you're right, because even you and I were debating what it meant. I went, I was gonna go long the morning after the second debate until I heard Biden specifically say, he wanted to transition out of the entire hydrocarbon infrastructure. To me, that was a chance to do a trade. And I just went to the most liquid stocks I could short, where was Chevron and Schlumberger. And as soon as we hit election day, don't kick a gift, gift horse in the mouth. Take the profits. And I'm lucky I did. And I did not go long. That was the second part of my strategy. But I was too nervous. The election was freaking me out like everybody else. I didn't know what was going on, so I missed that opportunity. 
because those stocks are actually up nicely. But there's other places to make money, healthcare and tech, and that's what I deployed it in. But it was a short trade, you were right, and it was based on the election, and none of that's going to happen now. Biden light will not mess with hydrocarbons. Yeah, oh, how quickly things change, right? That's why you got to be nimble, and things that looked like they would be on a Tuesday may look like they won't be on a Thursday. John Nigerian, uh, Brookfield Property, it's a REIT. Yeah, but I bought the preferred, Scott, B-P-Y-U-P. Um, and I bought the preferred because it is uh, something that has lagged as the company has rebounded the stock side. So less risk in the preferred, obviously, and uh, a great yield. So yes, I, I am in this one, Scott. Um, I also added to Qualcomm. Um, that's really my exposure to 5G. Uh, Qualcomm just blew out the numbers. I mean, oh my gosh. 600 million better than expectations, Scott, on their revenue side. And profit dropped to the bottom line as well. Big upside call buying extending this move. They're betting that it extends oh. because they're buying upside calls still, Scott. John, so I gotta love that. Don't talk, don't talk too loud about Qualcomm around Jenny. All right, it's just between you and me. Okay, now. sorry, it's just, it's just between the two of us now. It's a great day for Qualcomm. Okay, but shh, we don't want Jenny to hear it. We don't want Jenny to hear it. Okay, because she sold it. No, she sold it. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jenny. But it was good portfolio management. It's okay. Kevin just said, don't kick the gift horse in the mouth. Take the profit. I bought this four years ago. Oh. I had 140% profit. All my work said the price target should be between 130 and 150, and I sold it. And I am miserable today, and it really hurts, and I hate it. I know. I had to bring that gonna up. Talk but you know, are we going to talk GM earnings? I, you know, yes, we will. We will. We're not yet. We will. That's a good tease. We will. Right. I promise you we will. Uh, I knew that you had the 140% profit in, in Qualcomm, Jenny, so I was just kidding around with you. Um, and the point Thank is you. you're feeling pretty. I think you brought it up as nicely. Yeah. You're feeling pretty good because you are outperforming <laughs> the market today, right? I mean, and yeah. whereas yesterday was mm -hmm. a bad day for breadth within the market, today's a good one. Right. Right. And if we look at the market since it peaked on September 2nd, it's a good it's a good period for breadth. So it's not really just today. Today is an extension of what we've been seeing over the last two months. And it's neat to be able to own. You know, I know you guys can all tease me and the Twitterverse teases me, too, because I don't own Apple and Amazon and Twitter and Facebook. Um, but in the in the dividend income portfolio, I don't own them. Um, but it's neat to be able to outperform without owning those. And it's a good reminder that there is a much broader opportunity set out there to make money off of without necessarily owning just the really big ones that we talk about all the time. Okay, let's bring in another market voice, to, uh, market voice, excuse me, our special guest today. Shi Chow is Managing Director of Global Wealth Management at UBS. Welcome back. It's nice to see you. Hi. Hi, Scott. So give us Thank your... Thank you for having me again. Yeah, it's great having you. Give, give us your market view now, if you will, please, uh, based on what we know now about a still undecided election? Yes. Um, well, currently, there's been a strong trend going into secular stocks. So we are, um, you know, we, we are still cautious at this point because, you know, we feel like a lot of the talk has been around the election, and that's certainly been what's main focus here. But COVID is still not over. And, you know, once this election has been decided, all the eyes are going to be back on the rising COVID cases. So we we still like to maintain a balanced portfolio. Uh, we like tech. We like the large growth tech areas. But we want to focus more on, uh, you know, just going into next year and looking at what's going to happen in middle of next year when there's a vaccine and when there is more of a normal, uh, normal, normalizing the markets when we go into, uh, you know, more more stocks that's going to benefit from just going into a normal market. Do, do you have a, a different view now uh, than you may have on Monday about value versus growth in a scenario in which Vice President Biden becomes president, but you do uh, hold the Republican Senate? Uh, you know, we we have actually felt this election and how it's going right now. It's uh, it's been predicted that it's going to be going this way. So our view is to continue to stay balanced. Uh, you know, it's great that growth has been getting a lot of attention and the rotation is going into growth. But we like to uh, continue to stay balanced. You love health care um, and there's good reason to. 
Um, the sector is at an all-time high today, and we were just having a conversation about the outlook now under a President Biden. Right, right. Yes, we like health care. I mean, everything has gone towards growth this year. Uh, right now, with the exception um, of, you know, with the exception of health care is doing great. L- lastly, if, if everything was to remain the same, um, President Trump was reelected, Republican Senate remained in place. Dems are obviously keeping the, the House. Would that impact the way you think about the next, you know, I don't know, year? Um, we, you know, like I said, we are still uh, very constructive on stocks. And, uh, you know, looking at going into next year, we like to keep investor invested. And we wanted to diversify and balance, rebalance excessive mega cap stocks if we can. So, um, and that's really gonna, that's really gonna depend on the progress of, you know, what what's been decided with this election, and also the progress with COVID cases, and the development of a vaccine. So, uh, I think a lot of that is still kind of in the air. So, staying balanced is our key right now. Okay, Forbes is number one next gen wealth advisor for 2020. Barron's top 100 women financial advisors in 2020. Top 40 advisors under 40 for 2020. Xi Chow, thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll see you again soon. GM soaring on its earnings. Josh just told you about that. We'll trade it after this quick break, along with Uber and Roku and Square. They're all up. There they are, ahead of earnings. The trades from our committee is next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The half is back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. Welcome back. I'm Eamon Javers in Washington, where we're getting some new data now from Nevada. Uh, at Biden lead holding now at just over 12,000 as additional data continues to trickle in. Here's the latest number. A difference of, well, just under 12,000, 11,787. So Biden, uh, 49.4. Trump, 48.5 percent. We saw a little bit of a larger margin for Biden uh, in the last data dump at the top of the hour. Now uh, under that 12,000 figure that we'd seen before. So there you see uh, statewide with now what they're saying is 88 percent of the vote in. Nevada remains uh, by NBC standard too close to call. And it, it probably will remain that way for some time as we're uh, looking for an additional uh, tranche of data to be uh, to be released throughout the course of the day today. Additional tranches of data to be released throughout the course of the day today. So the Biden lead holding, but under that 12,000 mark. Scott, back over to you. Okay, Eamon, appreciate that update. Thank you very much. Let's get now to Sue Herrera, excuse me, who has the headlines for us. Hi, Sue. I do indeed, Scott. Thank you very much. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. Maine's Governor Janet Mills is now mandating face coverings be worn in public by everyone over the age of five. Maine's infection rate remains far below that of many other states, But today, it reported 183 new cases, and that is the highest daily count since the beginning of the pandemic. Voters overwhelmingly approve police reform measures in at least five states on Election Day. Measures to create or strengthen police oversight boards passed in nearly a dozen cities or counties. Italy reporting a new daily record for COVID-19 infections with over 34,000 confirmed cases. Officials also reporting 445 coronavirus deaths, making Italy the sixth nation to confirm more than 40,000 COVID-19 deaths. And tennis superstar Rafael Nadal has notched his 1,000th win. You're looking at him winning the French Open last month in Paris. Nadal is only the fourth man to hit that milestone. But when asked about the achievement, Nadal said, in part, it means I'm old. Okay, he's 34, but maybe by tennis standards. I don't know, but congratulations yeah. to him. It, it, I mean, you know, Borg retired in his 20s. So, I you know, know, thinking he was a little, getting a little up there, too. But, you know, I don't know. 
It may be ancient by tennis standards, but not by any but other. But not by any other. Yeah. All right, Sue, thank you. You got it. All right, Josh, let's do it. Uh, GM, uh, higher on its earnings beat. There it is, uh, two and a third percent. I, I do have to give props, too, to, to Jim Labenthal, as much grief as I, I give Farmer Jim about certain things. He definitely <laughs> deserves uh, props for his repeated backing of General Motors. Josh, you own it no, as well. No, he doesn't. No, no, he doesn't. No, no, no. I love Jimmy. No, he doesn't. This is the difference between me and Jim. He's in the stock on fundamentals. He's owned it since I was bar mitzvahed. I came into the stock on technicals like 25 minutes ago, and that's the way this is done. So this is one of those value stocks that's been trading in the same $5 trading range literally since it came public in 2011 after the bankruptcy. It's done nothing. And now all of a sudden it's about to break out. I think the stock's headed to 50. Give the credit to the technicians. This was on every technical analyst screen that you could think of. Everyone that we have on our air, this is a clear and present threat to break out to the upside finally above $40, not a lot of resistance, um, but it's already starting to move. So it's not overbought on RSI. Um, you look at, I mean, you can do the valuation thing if you want, but it's been the same valuation forever. Um, and they haven't even reinstated the dividend yet. This could be a 4% yielder. So I think there's a lot of ways to win with GM, but the number one way is that we are entering the age of the autonomous and the electric vehicle, and GM is a big-time player in both. It's not Tesla, but huge potential for a re-rating. And if they were to spin off autonomous and electric, um, that could be a $100 billion standalone company. Cruise is the first one to get approval to go into a major American city and do robo-taxis. They're starting in San Francisco next month. And the electric Hummer sold out its first year production run. So this is the perfect combination of a cheap stock on fundamentals that's starting to make a move higher. And I like it for a lot of those reasons. So the, the praise I giveth, you taketh away. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> we could all agree GM is cheap. Poor GM. No. All, no. Yeah. It's been the same valuation for 10 years. We all agree. When is it going to break out? That's the, the real question. And I think it's going to happen now. Well, he could have thrown up his hands and gotten out of it, but, you know, he did stay with it. Maybe he I love Jimmy. Maybe so he listened to impersonal. you because you, you, did, you have been saying that it was, you know, technically ready for a breakout. But anyway, he's not here to defend himself. So we'll wait till the next time you guys are on together, and then you guys can hash it out yourselves. Let's talk about another auto-related uh, auto company, Uber. Uh, after the bell today, Josh, you own the stock. John, you own the calls. John, you tell me about the call since we just heard from Josh, and I'll go back to Josh. Sure. Um, this is one, Scott, we were in it for Cal 22, of course, and got that monumental pop when they, uh, basically, when they and Lyft that spent $200 million on that vote got it in California so that these are not employees, they are contractors, which I think most thinking people thought they were contractors, not employees. But anyway, I still like it into the earnings next week, Scott. If we see soft shutdowns and so forth, that's just great for Postmates and Uber Eats. Um, I think you hold on to this one. We've got upside call buying all the way to the 45 strike, so I'm still in it and adding to it today. Josh, what's your outlook? You know, post election day, uh, post ballot initiative being voted on, and the stock's surging after that. Give me a one. All right, give me give me a one-year chart. Prashant, are you in there? Give me give me a one-year chart. Let me teach you guys something. This is very important. <laughs> on February nineteenth. All right, Vinny, give me a We're chart. We're getting it. On We're February nineteenth, right there. Okay. Uh, okay, I'm on. A, I'm on the light. On February nineteenth, this stock was on the verge of a major breakout. It was breaking above um, forty dollars a share, which had been the IPO price. Had a really tough, you know, first go of it. Uh, but it was finally starting to break out. A lot of positive news flow. And believe it or not, people were saying they should spin off the food delivery business. And then a week later, everyone got COVID. We, we go into this pandemic. And the only thing Uber has to talk about that's working is food delivery. So a lot changed. Um, but now we're approaching that level again, 41.66 right now. Uh, above 42, I really don't think there are sellers. If you were going to sell the stock, you had a million reasons to sell it between February 19th and now. So watch that level, that will be key. I'm hoping the earnings are the catalyst that get us over it, who knows, um, but very good week so far. Okay, thanks for the lesson, we appreciate it. The reform broker. <laughs>
John's following the action in the options market. We have his latest trades coming up next. Before the break, a check on the S&P sectors. Strong day for stocks. S&P is good for 65 and a third. That's just shy of 2%. And led today by materials, technology, and the financials. The halftime is back in a couple minutes. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, John, let's do unusual activity. You have a threefer for us. Tell us. I do. A, th- a threefer, Scott. EEM. This one, I think, would have been much bigger had we got a blue wave, Scott, because then I think uh, we would really see money flooding into these stocks. But I still like the upside. They're buying the 48 calls in January, so you've got a lot of time with this one. I'll probably be in these about two months, Scott, EEM. Second one, take a look at Upwork. We've been in and out of this one since it was an $8 stock in February. Multiple readings. Uh, It's big online jobs uh, market, and that's why this one is getting a lot of love today. Upside call buying here at the November 30 strike. Lastly, Scott, Zenga, January 9 calls. Big buying in this one as well, 27,000. So there's a lot of Robin Hoodsters in this one, Scott. Mm -hmm. You can always tell by the volume. I like it, though. I'm in these, and I'll probably be in these about as long as the EEM, right around two months. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that, John Najarian. Let's talk silver. Thank you. Silver prices are rallying. We'll do it next on The Half. Time for the futures outlook. Silver surging. Investors piling into at for safety. Let's bring in Bill Baruch of Blue Line Futures for the trade. Good to see you. Tell us what the trade is. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm invested in silver. I think there's a lot more upside here. We're going to get stimulus from the U.S. And silver doesn't care as long as it's uh, coming, whether it's whether it's fiscal or monetary, uh, with interest rates at zero. So um, we're also seeing stimulus from the Bank of England today. We're also seeing eurozone uh, growth cut and that's going to bring more stimulus from them so i think that's all very supportive to the metals and then on top of that dollar weaker is big too in what we're seeing not only just u.s dollar weakness but chinese yuan strength and the chinese yuan is up about seven percent against the u.s dollar then i think there's another three percent to go that's from june so uh, silver's been very constructive on this pullback i think we stay out above 21 and a half which is that brexit low what's the trade here well we're running into the 50-day moving average little pullback look for a buy at 24.75 i'm looking long term I'm using the March micro contract. It's a thousand ounces. Buy a 24.75. Your stop is down at 19.75. You're risking uh, the, the five dollars, which is five thousand dollars. Your target to the upside is 34.75. That's a th- that's a ten dollar move and a ten thousand profit potential of a two to one reward versus risk. All right, Bill Baruch, thank you. See you again soon. A quick break, then final trades.
All right, we're back. A bullish call today on Verizon. Upgraded to overweight J.P. Morgan, $65 is the price target. A lot of ownership on our desk today. Kevin O'Leary, you bought more yesterday. You go first, then Jenny, who also owns it. What's not to love? It's a really great 5G play. You're dating Apple when you own it. Fantastic balance sheet. Monster cash flow should be part of any dividend mandate. I love this stuff. Jenny? So I think I've owned this since Josh was bar mitzvah for that long. I've owned it forever. <laughs> and I love this upgrade <laughs> because it's a, it highlights that it's a, <laughs> um, it's a good way to play 5G. And so unlike Qualcomm, where it's obvious that it's a 5G play, and I think it's been priced into the stock on Verizon, I think you get to play 5G for a stock that has a four and a quarter percent yield, trades at 12 times. So it's a cheap way to get that exposure. Yeah. Long Island Bell. <laughs> Josh? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the stock. It, it's, it's got heavy resistance at, you know, between 60 and 62. The sellers seem to, to come out whenever it attacks that level. But the more times it knocks on that door, eventually it'll get through. Uh, this is another name that I think is overdue for a valuation re-rating because of 5G mm-hmm. um, and because of the, the super tight integration with, with Apple and the iPhone. So I agree with everything Jenny and Kevin said. All right. Um, good stuff. Let's do final trades. A little bit of time, so you can tell me the why along with the what. Kevin O'Leary, go first, please. Alibaba, direct trade into giant financial services. Uh, spin out in Ant. People hate it because it's a Chinese stock, and there's always the Jack Ma surprise like we got last week. But I love this thing long term, and it's growing faster. Yes, faster than Amazon. Does the same thing around the world. Faster growth, fantastic spin off. Love it. All right. Thank you. Jenny? National retail properties, so big box gas stations, not clothing stores. They reported earnings last week. They have a six and a quarter percent yield. And when they reported earnings, they said that October rent collections are at about 90 percent. I think that's a lot higher than what's than what's seen in the stock price right now at about thirty three dollars a share. So big yield and upside. All right. Josh Brown. Um, I, I, I think I would say J.P. Morgan for this one. Um, it, it's really, the, I think, the, the, the best name in the space, and it's got a great yield, and buyback de- activity should be solid. So I think you have valuation support in the high 90s, low 100s. I don't know what, what it's going to take to actually make money in the name, mm-hmm. um, but from a total return standpoint, I think you'll be okay. Less than 10 seconds, Doc. Tesla, Scott, it's up 60 bucks since it bottomed out last week, bought more. I like the upside. All right, good stuff. Dow's up nearly, well, now it's over 500. The exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.